Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Strafford, Michael Palmer, Brandon Jones along with you to talk about the world of learning and education. This week, we touch on South by Southwest, EDU, uh, as uh, that conference happened about a week ago and the uh, entertainment one happening this past weekend. Uh, but first, Brandon, how you doing this week? Anything new in your world? Yeah, I'm having a little FOMO. No Jomo for me. Mm. Um, I, I've been to South by as we call, as we talked last time. Yes, we uh, we called it South by the cool kids. It's the the name so nice you only say it once. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So this is I went two years in a row. This is uh, my my first year in three years of not going. You're, so you're allowing uh, allowing the field to stay fallow this year. Yeah, I'm letting fallow. leaving a fallow field so that I can uh, I can reap uh, greater harvest in years to come. And also, um, truthfully, I'm I'm having um, letting some other members of our team go and uh, take the spot that I might have otherwise. And uh, we're we're probably going to be hearing from them, right? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so Dan, if I can tell folks, uh, I think l- later, even in this episode, we'll be hearing from two folks who are on on my team here at Kaplan, uh, Walker Williams, who is uh, he, I guess he is a Texas Ranger right now since he's in Austin, um, who is our, our director of faculty training, uh, trains our we have about three thousand teachers here and. He's, uh, he's out there uh, along with Mary Kent, who is a senior director in our new ventures group. Uh, and there's lots of opportunity you know, for Kaplan uh, partnerships, um, for folks here to, uh, to learn from what's happening in, in industry in K-12 and in ed tech. Uh, and you know, you just when you're, when you're hanging around um, you know, sort of educationally woke people, you, know, you get some, you have good conversations, get good ideas. So I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to hearing from them. And Mike, anything new in your world uh, to bring to our listeners? Well, you know, it is March Madness. So uh, so I'm still uh, ruminating upon uh, my my rock star team that I selected during our March Madness uh, selection show. So, I'm, uh, you know, they're amped like they're they're that my squad is ready to roll in uh, March Madness. And you'll be hearing more from them uh, soon. And uh, and then March just in general is. Uh, it's kind of a fun month because I think a lot of activity starts to pick up. Like you're starting to break out of your your hibernation mode and things like the NCA March Madness is happening. The weather's getting good. South by Southwest is happening. So uh, as folks who are paying attention to what's happening in the outside world, it's a fun time of year uh, to uh, to sort of have your antenna, antennae. Up. Antennae. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As uh, Brandon said, we will hear from Mary and Walker later on about their experiences therein. A couple of topics here that we saw uh, early on from keynote speakers and presentations we did want to touch on uh, before turning over to talk to uh, Mary and Walker about their experience. Uh, One I saw, Mike, was a keynote uh, from one of the first couple of days, a gentleman by the name of Michael Sorrell, who is president of Paul Quinn College in Dallas. Uh, He announced that he was starting a national network of urban work colleges where to his uh, quoting him, where students must work to go to classes. Uh, He discussed the idea of project-based learning, experiential learning, and that they needed to gain real-world experiences in higher education. Now, Mike, we've talked about this previously here on uh, Trending in Ed, uh, but this seems like a a more concerted effort to really make it a a college experience that is based in what I'll say in air quotes, which you can't see, but quote unquote, the real world, uh, solving problems that are happening in your community. Um, sounds great. You know, sounds like a way to really get your hands dirty, whatever phrase you want to use. What's your take on uh, this as a college education and, and the way education could change with what they're calling real life problems? Sure. Um, 
big fan of experiment experimental models for k for higher ed and k-12 for that matter so um the specific uh ways in which folks are trying to disrupt and reinvent the model i i, I sometimes have different takes on that so um whether this this one is the is the winning gambit that is going to revolutionize higher ed Probably not. Uh, it's the type of thing that maybe gets a little bit of traction and it's at South by Southwest or South by. So, um, you know, getting the exposure, the fact that we're talking about it, maybe more people will think about adjusting, uh, you know, their curricula and their approach to their school. Um, but um, I think I'm more just pro pro change and pro experimentation just because higher ed has been so slow to evolve. Uh, and even some of the last time I think folks thought it was it was going to be transformed was the MOOC movement, uh, you know, starting in 2012. And that didn't really get uh, maybe as much traction as, as, as some of us might have thought. So um, I do like the focus on practical application of real life problems. Uh, we've talked about that in a number of ways. I think we were talking most recently in K-12 where like, you know, can you... Uh, understand strengths and then d deliver curriculum uh, in a more practical way that's tied to uh, things that folks that students are actually passionate about. So um, I like I like that this is getting a little bit of press. I think it's exactly why Brandon was talking earlier about why people go to uh, South by Southwest, both to uh, EDU, both to present and to to learn. Is that um, there's there's a really large and growing community who believes that education can continue to get meaningfully better, that we're, we're not done. We're actually more at the very beginning of it. So uh, I always get inspired by these types of stories. I'm excited to hear uh, what you guys think. And, um, and especially having boots on the ground, I'm curious what those, those guys think. Yeah, I think it's um, I've got a couple thoughts on this. So one, this is a little, uh, and you know, listen up for next week when I come back at you, Mike, but this is this is in the spirit of kid solving, actually. Yep. Like this is these aren't kids; these are this is um, you know community colleges. But this is you know community solving, mm -hmm. sort of right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we can agree that that communities got problems, you know, society's got problems, and I think that part of the conceit here is that the people who are in those communities are going to care more about solving them than you know maybe even local government, certainly federal government. And um, if, if through the practical application, if being a practitioner as part of your studies, you can either through your work product, your educational work product, deliver real solutions uh, and or be inspired to stay in that community and apply those solutions when you, you know, have a degree that's conferred upon you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's win-win. Um, you know, the, the alternative here is more sterile sort of academic, you know, they talk about um, in this article, you know, the, the, edu the uh, economics of, you know, sort of learning about macroeconomics um, in a vacuum versus learning about the economics of the inner city. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's real. Mm -hmm. And then two, I think that, and this is part of the South by uh, spirit here in general, there's a little bit of concept car to this, right? And the, right. when you see concept cars, like you don't necessarily see a fleet of concept cars out on the road, but right. you may see elements of that. You may see like the, the car door handle yeah. that was on a concept car make its way actually into a fleet of cars. And if whether this is a wholesale solution for a broad base of educators or educational institutions, 
there may be elements of this that uh, that make their way more broadly. And I, I think that's exciting, too. One of the other uh, topics on hand in the first couple of days was uh, Betsy DeVos, who uh, I think it's not uh, outlandish to say has had a rocky uh, uh, tenure as the uh, head of uh, the education department for the United States, has been uh, challenged many times over uh, as she approaches schools and has a panel discussion here, Brandon, uh, where she wants to rethink education by unleashing innovation and supporting choice. Uh, her guests on that panel, Annette Agarwal, uh, CEO of EDX, Ben Wallerstein, CEO of Whiteboard Advisors, and Dave Clayton, Senior Vice President of Consumer Insights at Strata Education Network. Uh, three entrepreneurs, three uh, not educators per se, but those who run education companies. Uh, teachers and audience didn't love that. They did ask her why. Uh, and she was just saying that teachers on, in and of themselves are entrepreneurs as well. Uh, so she didn't see a, a, a disassociation there between the panel and the teachers in the audience. Um but she's challenging again, Mike. Like Mike said, uh, to challenge on innovation, to change the the landscape a little bit, and see where these kind of companies can go. Uh, the discussion seemed to be uh, along those lines. Uh, anything from this discussion in the article here in uh, Ed Surge about the discussion that you found interesting, or you think that could be something adopted or, or pushed sort of policy forward uh, for Betsy DeVos and, and the U.S. government? Yeah, I think it's hard. I think. Um... It's hard as the Secretary of Education. Um, you know, you are particularly for for Betsy DeVos coming in not from a career in education, but from a career in industry. You know, let's say you've got four or eight years, right? You you spend your first year learning, right? Maybe it's longer, and um, you know, by the time that you're uh, you're able to to do you know to actually affect change and and you know what policy change can you can you actually from like an executive standpoint, administer, um, you're, you yourself are a lobbyist in certain ways. I think it's hard. I think it's, um, so it's hard for, and it's, it's hard to move from platitudes, like we should be more innovative, um, innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, she probably doesn't say it that way. Both of those. Um, that's why I'm, I'm just innovating on the pronunciation. Yeah. There. I think it, it's, it's easy to say platitudinous things, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to actually affect change. I will say in, you know, this is this is not meant to be a referendum on on her um, tenure or her her role as secretary of education. I think it's it's hard when you don't bring educators on stage with you. Yep. Like you need like you need one. Sure. Right. And because otherwise you're going to get the questions that that she she got. I mean, you're you're she had a good answer, I think, which is to say educators are innovators, too. So having innovators on stage, it's not a it's not an either or it's both and. But um I, I think having having been there at that conference, it is largely K twelve, mm-hmm. um, and then higher ed. Um, you know, there are a lot of ed tech uh, companies as well. But um, there's there's you got to get the you got to know who's in the room, and I think that that's important to to making sure that your message lands. Anything else, uh, Mike, stand out to you before we do turn it over to uh, Walker and Mary for their take from on uh, on the ground there at uh, South by Southwest? Well, I, I think the DeVos panel was interesting. First, she was moderating a panel. She wasn't a keynote, which I thought was a change for her. Uh, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, I haven't been a, a raving fan of uh, our, our Secretary of Education, but I think the fact that she's getting out there and engaging, I think is actually a good thing. And then to me, a lot of this comes back to the theme of diversity and inclusion. And you want to be inclusive when you're putting a panel together, uh, particularly to understand how educators are going to 
perceive what you're putting out there. And I thought in this particular case, uh, I don't know how much uh, uh, Betsy DeVos was involved in the structure of the session or whether she was, uh, you know, she, I'm sure she agreed to it. But um, the idea of like hearing from educators, uh, it's actually something we're trying to do more on this show too. And, um, you know, we're talking to folks who, who are closest to many of our teachers. For example, Kaplan's got uh, thousands of teachers uh, working for us. Look, look, Brandon and I are former Kaplan teachers. So um, it's something I think we all could learn from, like trying to include all voices, all angles. And, uh, you know, getting back to one of the things we've talked about on a number of occasions, education doesn't change without getting buy-in and energy from the, the t educators themselves. And um, I'm sure that's a theme that we're going to continue to come back to throughout this conversation and on the show. Joined now by Walker Williams and Mary Kent. You heard Brandon speak of them earlier. Want to dive right in here. We talked earlier about some of the keynotes, but uh, we'll get to that momentarily. Mary, just your general sense of this, the depth and breadth of, of South by Southwest EDU. Obviously, South by Southwest just concluding this past weekend, uh, but the EDU happens before. It's a gigantic event. Uh, what was your initial reaction and your overall reaction to the, the time you spent there? It really is a gigantic event. So this was actually my first year attending South by Southwest EDU, and I hadn't realized just how big it was. So one of the things to remember is that there are a, a number of program tracks, so arts, early learning, data, language learning, and you can attend sessions on any of those tracks. So there are multiple sessions running at any time. Uh, we were only able to, you know, obviously attend a small percentage of those. So this is going to be my take on, uh, on the ones that I was able to see and then one of what I heard from uh, peers and colleagues who were there as well. Um, but for me this year, you know, it really stood out that there was a focus on SEL or socio-emotional learning. Um, a lot of talk around soft skills. There was definitely a follow-up on the AI and the VR and AR and all the technology and education, which was a really big focus last year, but it had a different feel to it this year. Uh, it was more, you know, talking about how that's being incorporated and um, how that plays into some of the soft skills and SEL. A lot on personalized learning, uh, the future of assessments, and then just a lot on affordability, access, equity, um, really everything along those lines. Walker, how about yourself? Depth and breadth, uh, was it overwhelming to an extent? How much was going on there? Yeah, I mean, overwhelming is exactly the word that I would use, but not necessarily in a bad way, right? It's sort of diving into this sea of ideas and luminaries and presentations and events, uh, uh, and it's really exciting and it's fun. Uh, it's a it's a great experience. Also, my first time uh, going. The the thing that struck me about all of that was there's probably a huge opportunity. I think at, at South by Southwest EDU to try to capture some of the best content from this event and package it. Um, because as Mary said, there there are these different tracks, uh, you know, sort of different topics and subjects and skills to dig in on. And you know, my my sole regret is that there aren't ten of me who could go to you know sort of all uh, all the parallel scheduled sessions. Um, but yeah, all, all really wonderful themes, all really quality programming, uh, and just a whole lot of it. It was going to be a somewhat tongue-in-cheek follow-up of how many uh, replications of yourself did you want to have to be able to uh, get to all the sessions. But it sounds like it. Uh, you're seeing more and more of these events doing a great job uh, going digital after the fact, putting up the recordings, giving you access to those. And um, I know some uh, big uh, events are doing that more and more. Hopefully, uh, things like South by Southwest EDU catch on as well. Uh, and even sell it after the fact. There is definitely a market for folks who uh, have the FOMO, have the fear of missing out, who would pay a, a little bit to be able to get access to these great sessions. Um, Walker, you make mention of 
uh, being able to split yourself. But the keynotes typically are, there's only one keynote happening at a time. Uh, so you're able to see those major ones that happen. We talked a bit about two of them uh, on the open with Brandon and Mike. General impression, general impression of the keynotes. Did they set a certain tone for the event, a certain way that you felt like the keynote speakers were trying to maybe shape uh, the way discussions would go the rest of the day? Yeah, so first of all, they were all extremely high quality, uh, really, really amazing presenters. And as far as the presentations themselves, uh, there was, and this is a broad theme in sort of presentation generally, there was a thread of storytelling uh, sort of throughout all of the presentations. It started with a presentation from The Moth, uh, which is a storytelling pro uh, project that you might be familiar with. That was really uh, delightful. Uh, and then sort of proceeded, right? Even as sort of the discussions got more technical and focused, there was a lot of storytelling about learning communities and students and teachers and, and all those things, which was interesting to see as, as sort of a high level theme for those presentations. As far as what they focused on, uh, the thing that struck me the most was South by Southwest EDU and most things associated with South by Southwest have this reputation for being you know, extremely high tech, forward thinking, future focused, uh, conversations and communities, uh, and the keynotes especially were much more aspirational uh, and sort of human focused than you might expect from a community like that. I know uh, Brandon talked earlier about Paul Quinn's uh, presentation, Paul Quinn University's presentation uh, on their mission to end poverty. Um, and, you know, that's just not something you would necessarily expect coming into a conference that's, that's really famous for EdTech. It is also interesting, though, that that, that kind of mission matches up really well with kind of the, the techie version of aspiration or massive transformative purpose uh, that you might be familiar with. But that was definitely on display, right? We weren't here to talk about technology and assessment and data itself, although we were certainly there to do that. We were there to talk about how those things can solve big problems in the world. Uh, and that was really neat. Now, Mary, you said earlier about uh, SEL, socio-emotional learning, something near and dear to my heart. We've talked about it here on the podcast before. Do you, do you agree with Walker? Do you feel like it was somewhat a turn this year where we got a little away from the robot, away from technology and more towards the whole student and more of uh, that aspirational feeling of how to accomplish some of the things that technology can afford? Yeah, I really do. Um you know, to emphasize the, the storytelling aspect, uh, you know, listen to the stories at the beginning. It was really about the personal experiences of individuals and how they connected with students. And that personalized learning theme was really prevalent throughout a lot of the sessions that I saw and a lot of the conversations that were happening. And to me, the, the opening keynote and then the ending keynote were sort of bookends uh, because the, the ending keynote was also full of amazing speakers and very aspirational and, and talking about you know, things that we could do to change the world rather than focusing on getting everyone laptops or getting everyone technology. Let's look at the fact that when women are educated at the same rate as men, you have, uh, you know, thriving communities and you have them giving back to their communities and, and you end up with uh, better economic growth overall in a nation. Um, and it was really exciting to, to see that and to see that personalized learning theme, which you know, interacted with the technology in a really interesting way because a lot of the conversations were around, well, how is technology actually going to help get us there? Uh, but it was definitely a different feel and a different focus on the individual. Two quick plugs. If uh, you haven't heard the International Women's Day episode we had of Trending in Education, Nancy Sanchez had a very similar path about uh, female education and the rise of the community when uh, females are educated at the same rate, rate as men. And it was inspiring to listen to her. So if you haven't yet, uh, I would suggest taking uh, some time to listen to that episode. And, you know, Esther Lee, Rochelle Rothstein, and, and Deborah Barabishas were all great as well. But Nancy really honed in on a very similar topic. And if you don't know what the moth is, 
Uh, and I'm not telling you to go listen to another podcast right now. You should be listening to, to Trending and Education solely all the time. But The Moth has a podcast out there that is strictly their storytelling. And The Moth operates that you go and you tell stories on a specific topic. Uh, I've done it before. Uh, my family is big into The Moth, so it's been great. Awesome to hear they were there. Uh, and now I do have FOMO that I didn't get to see this, this keynote. But um, And I also probably am too old to use FOMO, but that's fine. Uh, I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, I really uh, implore you, check out The Moth Podcast. And, and if you're in a city that has it, it's worth even going just to watch, to see the storytelling, to see the uh, experience that people go through to do that. Now, Walker, coming back to you, so many sessions, so many ways to choose what track to go down. Even when you choose what you think is the best, you probably have in the back of your mind, I really wish I was in you know, Exhibit Hall A instead because this one's not meeting my expectations. What stood out? What was one of those sessions that did grab your attention and give you something that you were able, really able to grab hold of? I guess one quick note, uh, and Brian Carlage explained this to me, and I'm really glad he did. Piece of advice if you're attending a conference like this, if you're sitting in a session uh, and it starts and you wish you were somewhere else, go somewhere else. That's a good point. Uh, just throwing that one out there. Uh, but to answer the question, uh, my favorite session was about uh, using assessment to help develop great teachers. Uh, and it was, it started off as a little bit of like sales pitch that this is a thing you should do, uh, which was not itself that intriguing to me uh, because this is a thing we already do, right? This is, this is a core part of my job uh, and my team's job. Um, but then it really got into the topics of, you know, what kinds of skills are we trying to develop in teachers and how can we assess those things? Uh, and um, uh, so Jeffrey Phillips from ETS was sort of the, the kind of primary assessment expert uh, on the panel. Uh, and he talked about, you know, how useful this is uh, for developing content skills, right? Which as Kaplan, we're, we're very familiar uh, with the effectiveness of assessing for content and, and writing those kinds of assessments and those kinds of things. Uh, and then the conversation sort of moved into uh, how much harder it is to build assessments at scale that are, you know, sort of automatically graded, that can help you make decisions uh, for, you know, what might be called soft skills or SEL or non-cognitive skills, depending on who you ask, stuff that I like to call things computers are still bad at, because I think all those other labels kind of have limitations in them that, that don't cover the really broad field of things that computers are still bad at, right, and therefore that, that people should still be doing. Um, and it was interesting. He was essentially very skeptical right, that you can uh, sort of assess, and I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth, but this is the impression I got, uh, skeptical that you can assess those things at scale in sort of an automated way. We grappled with this challenge of are these things accessible at scale or do you, do you just have to either sit down with a real person or just wait until you're on the job uh, and assess those things, uh, you know, sort of in person or one-on-one or -on -one and live. Uh, and our conversation steered toward how we're actually doing this is using what he would call uh, judgment questions. So presenting a scenario. Let's say you receive the following email from a student. The student's really discouraged because uh, they haven't had time to do their homework and their score's not improving. Which of the following responses, uh, you know, best models growth mindset for this student? That's kind of the approach that we have taken. Uh, and you know, one, I was excited that he seemed sort of receptive to the idea that that might be a valid way to do this, although I freely admitted that, you know, we, we don't yet have the data and have not done the analysis to tell whether these assessments are really working. We just think they are, and we rely on research like Carol Black's research to tell us that this is a good idea in the first place. So I really want to get more advanced in that realm. But then the conversation also moved into how you can take judgment questions like that 
and turn them into things that look more like simulations, right? So could you put a video of a teacher in a classroom talking and then ask the user, for instance, you know, click the mouse when there's an opportunity to demonstrate growth mindset and then have you know, a multiple choice uh, interface come up and say, you know, which of the following is the correct thing to say? Like, yes, you correctly identified the moment. Now I want you to pick a response uh, and then you know, perhaps have a student respond and then do follow up. So you can really start breaking these things that we often call non-cognitive skills down into learning objectives that are accessible at scale that lay out a process for how to perform this skill. It almost sounds as the, uh, the HR trainings we go through where you have to watch the scenario and assess what the right response is or what the wrong, typically the wrong response is uh, in uh, the human resource uh, world, but makes a lot of sense and gives the teacher a new way to interact with it rather than self-assessing assessing somebody else on screen or assessing what they're, they're doing is a, an intriguing way to go about it. Mary, how about yourself? Was there a session that looking back now stands out and you took something from that uh, you're excited to bring back to work? There were a number of them. I, I think I would have a lot of trouble picking one favorite, but uh, actually to piggyback a little bit on Walker's theme here, there was another session on assessments as well. And it was titled, Can Personalized Learning Replace Testing? And you know, obviously I found that working for a test prep company very interesting uh, to think about whether testing could be replaced as, as a way of evaluating students in general in the future. And the conversation was really around assessments in general and whether they should exist and whether uh, what the value of, of a given assessment is for students. And it was a really interesting conversation because it was, uh, you know, we had, we had someone there from a company called New Classrooms and they've been cited at a number of places as being a really innovative new educational company. They don't believe in assessments at all. And by that, they mean they don't, they don't believe in sitting students down and comparing them to each other using any type of standardized test. So what they do is they measure students in real time against competencies every day. And they have teachers measuring students' performance against a set of competencies. Uh, to see how they're performing and then they personalize the learning for each student on an ongoing basis um, which is a really interesting you know way to think about that and i uh, think about the the individual support that that student gets the counter argument there is then how do you draw from that any type of comparison across you know different demographics uh, across different time periods how do you compare one school to another to just ensure that the standards are being met uh, when you don't have that data that has any context that you know can be looked at across a landscape, how do you then make funding decisions and policy decisions? Um, and the argument is that assessments aren't bad in themselves. It is the policy around them and the way that they are sometimes used incorrectly that you know in ways that that they were not intended to be used that then has a negative effect on students. So it was a really, it was a really interesting conversation. I think one that will continue to go on for the next maybe decade or so. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's one that's been going on for a long time and may continue long past our time in education. That's for sure. That, that, that sounds right. That sounds right. Uh, you know, there was talk of assessments the way that they are today being disrupted in the next decade. Uh, and I think there are, you know, a lot of folks who have been in this assessment space and the testing space for a long time who are in agreement that there's going to be a disruption here. But what it looks like depends on sort of what we decide is really important uh, as a as a nation, as a you know, as people, uh, as educators, and and we figure out what's best for students, what's best for learning. So I'd be interested to bring other folks' thoughts on uh, you know personalized individual plans versus the value of having data. 
All right. Final question. I hope it's an easy one. Mary, would you go back? Is this something you enjoyed? Is this something you thought you got a lot out of uh, and one you'd uh, look forward to going to in 2019? I would absolutely go back. I think uh, the most valuable thing here is these are the folks who are in the nitty gritty every single day. So you're talking and interacting with the people doing the work and doing the thinking. Uh, for me, this is, you know, this was really great just to see the work that's being done by so many amazing companies uh, in the education and the technology spaces. And Walker, would you attend again? Yeah, I uh, absolutely would attend again. Uh, one of my friends uh, from grad school was a panelist and was trying to talk me into submitting a proposal for next year. So I, hopefully via that route. But uh, yeah, either way, I, I'd love to go back. Look forward in 2019, live trending in education at South by Southwest EDU with Walker uh, as one of those guests. We'll make that happen. We'll make <laughs> that happen in the future. Uh, Walker Williams and Mary Kent, thanks so much for the time. Uh, you've been listening to Trending in Education. 